0: Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host,
1: Sheila Zelinsky.
0: Hi everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Sheila Zelinsky Show for this June 10th edition. I broadcast Monday to Friday, that's weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on WINB. And to find out more ways to listen, including the podcast and that great customized app, that's the Weekend Vigilani app, which, by the way, I'm getting some great feedback on, simply go to the Listen tab on the menu at weekendvigilani.com. Downloading that podcast for those on the go, people really like that. Hey, you can take my show along with you anywhere you go. And if you've not already done so, please do add me on social media, that's Twitter, Facebook, and especially YouTube, because some of the shows populate on YouTube before they go anywhere else. Do sign up for my YouTube channel. I just really have not had the time or the manpower to market my social media. So do add me on social media, all those social media icons are located at the top of my website, weekendvigilante.com. Well, I want to jump right into the show. My guest today, he really needs no introduction. Him and I go way back. He is the highly acclaimed, renowned author, lecturer, speaker, Dr. Timothy Ball. I call him the Pele of Smart. He is the Chuck Norris of knowledge. I just absolutely adore this man. He's been such a mentor. He wrote the forward to my book, Dr. Ball. Welcome to the program. It is a pleasure as usual to have you back on the show, Tim.
1: Thank you. And it was a pleasure to write the foreword to your book, which everybody should read.
0: Well, thank you for that, Tim. Well, we've got lots of news to cover, Tim. Today is the first day of Bilderberg the clandestine cabal off at their Dresden confab in Germany, scheming to benefit from the fallout of the economy, ensuring they exploit the coming market turmoil, I'm sure, or even a catastrophic crash. I remember back in 2006 during the Bilderberg Group's meeting, in that year it was Ottawa, Canada. I remember Daniel Estelin and Jim Tucker They were there and their insiders said they were preparing for the housing bubble to burst. And, of course, a global market crash took place over the course of the next two years. We saw the whole Lehman Brothers, the worldwide recession. Bilderberg is at it once again, Tim.
1: Yes, uh, the Bilderberg meeting is is going on in, in Dresden right now. And, of course, Dresden was the city that was firebombed at the end of the Second World War, And the civilian loss of life was horrendous. Now, you can argue that it was uh, payback for what they did in London and so on, but it's the loss of civilian life in all of these things. One of the things that people tend not to think about is that the evil people make money off of the misfortunes of others. Right now, we've got George Soros uh, in the news, putting his money on the collapse of the European Union. Now, whether you agree with the European Union or not, its collapse will cause enormous hardship for a lot of ordinary people. And if you think about it, with the Second World War, for example, in thirty-six. the world economies were um, you know, in terrible shape. People were suffering. And then all of a sudden, by thirty-eight, they found all his money and all the wars were in progress and people had jobs, but then even more people died. And one of the things that George Soros has made all of his money off of is in exploiting and, and causing the collapse of monetary systems. There were 17 different nations that finally got together and said, look, he's destroying us. He's got to be stopped. And this is the evil of the man. The whole idea is to keep the world constantly in a state of agitation, which, of course, shakes the money loose from the ordinary people. It also shakes them to death. But this is the nature of of what goes on with these powerful people. They are collectively the devil incarnate. And of course, some of them are uh, better at it than others. And George Soros is one of them. And if you look at the list of attendees at the Dresden conference, which includes Henry Kissinger, a lot of the finance ministers from different countries around the world, CEOs of very powerful corporations, it is a collection of evil. So yeah, the same things are going on uh, as has gone on all along with the Bilderberg Group.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I have always said good old Soros is there, billionaire elitist. He's, you know, stepped back into trading personally over the last few months. Of course, we all know the billionaire shyster. That's the man that broke the Bank of England. I'm serious. He was responsible, Tim, for crashing the pound in 92. And and he's betting against the American stock market, preparing to, what, exploit the chaos of Europe's migration crisis and It's funny. I've got a list of the agenda talking points. Of course, they've been released now. The Middle East, NATO. You've got, of course, Russia on the agenda. The current economic issue, chemical weapons threats, AI, cybersecurity. I mean, this is a frightening list, isn't it?
1: Well, it's a frightening list. But you see, here's the problem with it. You can have an agenda but what you actually talk about will be and can be something completely different. Yeah. And so, so you put out an agenda say, look, we got nothing to hide here. Here are the things we're discussing. These are problems the world faces. But what they don't tell you is they're the ones that are creating them. Who's producing those chemicals? And, and by the way, the chemical warfare thing or the biological warfare thing far exceeds the threat to humanity of nuclear power. Far exceeds it. When you consider that 10 ounces of certain dioxins put into the New York water supply could kill the whole of New York City. 10 ounces. Yeah, these people can put out their agendas and say, oh, yeah, no, no, nothing to hide here. Here's here's what we're talking about. But what they say behind the closed doors, how they talk about it, and then... As you know, what happens, you go to a conference and you get, oh, hey, there's great ideas, yeah, we should try that, we should do that. Then you go home and you go back to your old ways. Because implementing new things is very difficult to do, and they don't want to do that. What they're doing there is they're saying, look, here's the issues that you've got to go home to and deal with just as you've dealt with them all along. But in the meantime, we have this supposedly open symposium and supposedly open discussion. What we're really doing is telling you, here's the parameters within which you've got to apply our objective of world control. That's the game that's played.
0: Well, Bilderberg Group is set to discuss plans to implement an Internet-i data course to eviscerate autonomy on the web. Now, you know, under the TPP, you can't even put a headline to the New York Times But wait, Sheila, I'm driving traffic to them. Sorry, it doesn't matter. You're taking their words now. You can't link that. Even Justice Stephen Brayer said, Tim, we need a global internet law. I mean, Tim, you thought Obamacare was scary. Wait until these copyright laws work their way up.
1: I don't know if I've told you this story before, but it's worth repeating. About 30 years ago, maybe a bit more, I was at a conference in, of all places, Bismarck, North Dakota, The first uh, U.S. representative at the United Nations was there, and he was the keynote speaker. Normally I don't hang around, but I I couldn't uh, get out, so I had to stay for the dinner and the the, um, presentation, and I was so glad that I did, because he did something that I think all of us need to understand. He explained, he said, look, here's what's going to happen in the next 60 to 100 years. He held up a pen, and he turned to the person next to him and said, If I sell you that pen, you now have the pen, I no longer have the pen. However, if I have an idea and I sell you the idea, you have the idea, but I still have the idea. And the problem is in a marketplace that is moving more and more to selling ideas, how do you retain the value of the idea and yet still be able to sell it? And, of course, he said what will happen is that you will see all kinds of laws and rules and regulations around the idea of intellectual property, of copyright, of plagiarism. And if you look at the TPP, over 20 percent of the agreement, or the treaty, over 20% of it is devoted to copyright, intellectual property, and attempts to control those ideas, and of course, this is what these people are are doing. This is why they're talking about this with the internet, and um, I just keep thinking back to that particular presentation, because it was so accurate, and of course, he, he ended up his speech by saying, you know, If Shakespeare was alive today, he'd be locked up for plagiarism, because he copied from everybody. And, And so that helps people understand what's going on, the dynamics of this, the switch from a goods economy where people produce something with their hands and they sold it, shoes, bread, whatever it is, that is now gone. The manufacturing is being done by uh, robots and automation and so on, which people talked about, but the government's never prepared for. China's only surviving because they can get people to work for less than a, a robot can do, not allow them to have unions. But gradually, uh, this this whole pattern is changing. Look at London. London is now retained its strength as a world capital, not because it's the center of the British Empire anymore, but because it's the financial capital of the world. It's the clearinghouse. This is the sort of problem that we are now confronted, where we've gone away from what was called mercantilism, the old fur trade, the Hudson Bay Company. It's now all about ideas and control of ideas, and control of people's minds, and through that, the control of their lives. And that is what's going on. That's what the Bilderberg people are talking about in Dresden
0: today. But there's so much propaganda going on around all this. Lena Riefenstahl would have salivated at all this, Tim.
1: Well, yeah, Lena Riefenstahl, of course, was Hitler's uh, propaganda lady. She denied that she was that. And and in fact denied it right up till she died a couple of years ago in her nineties, but yeah, the problem is it's like Machiavelli said that the people that um, want to delude can always find people that are willing to help them delude, and so this is the difficulty. And it's summed up, by the way, uh, in the thing you and I have talked about, Sheila, in that thing about well, who's killed more people in history, and we said, well, Rachel Carson, but the reality is. Rachel Carson never personally killed anybody. Hitler never personally killed anybody that we're aware of. In fact, he refused to be uh, carry a gun at the front line. He w- he was in the um, carrying the bodies. He was a stretcher bearer, and the same with Stalin. That's what's evil about them. They get other people to do their dirty work for them. That, to me, is 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 true evil. I mean, I can relate to somebody that, uh, in a fit of anger, kills somebody. I can't accept it, but there's, there's a passion and a personal responsibility there. But that's not what's going on with these people. And when you look at Dresden, I mean, Churchill pushed the button. He didn't kill the people. I can relate to this in my own life, because the only time when I was in the Canadian Air Force doing anti-submarine patrols, the only time we ever carried live weapons, that is, live torpedoes, live 500-pound depth bombs was during the Cuban crisis. And I'm sitting in the back of that airplane with the button in front of me, knowing that if we go over a Russian submarine, i got to push the button and kill those people. And I sat there and thought about that at 3 o'clock in the morning over the North Atlantic. Now, I don't know how many people think about that, the detachment of killing people with your actions and it's troubled me how do scientists sit in laboratories and design weapons that they know are going to indiscriminately kill women and children and of course what you realize is while well, the first thing is patriotism while well, I'm doing it to defend my country That's why Samuel Johnson said patriotism is the last refuge of a scoundrel. And then they do it, of course, in terms of the fact that that people like Soros are sociopaths. They have no empathy or feeling or humanity in them at all. They can sit there and say, oh, no, this is business. I'm creating jobs That's what you hear all the time. Oh, it's creating jobs. Yeah, but you're killing millions of people while you're doing it. And so this is what the world is confronted with. And it's being brought to the world's attention now because of the Internet, because of the global village, because um, events can happen. And they can't hide them anymore. They can't cover them up anymore. There's two billion people looking at everything and immediately it's on social media or Facebook. And the lies are being exposed. You see it with Hillary Clinton. I mean, how can you have the most powerful country in the world preparing to allow a proven liar be the head? It's insanity, just the idea of it. and Yet that's what's happening. This is why it's all coming to a head. And uh, hopefully, one of the ways that we can resolve issues is to know about them. A problem is only a problem if you're not aware of it. A bias is only a bias if you're not aware of it. Once you become aware of it, you have an opportunity. So much of what you're doing with that with the Christian message, look, there are answers, as you explain in your book, Green Gospel. People have already resolved these problems both morally and ethically and in religious terms that fit human nature and fit humanity and understand what the devil is doing so this is you know why the control of the internet of course is is going to be very critical going forward
0: well yeah that's so true and my question is how do they always get away with this you know look at bilderberg even under the logan act a us law passed during the infancy of the country by president john adams American citizens cannot negotiate with foreign officials without the authorization of the country. We know the Bilderberg conference largely been totally ignored by the talking media bobbleheads in the last past decades. Hey, nothing to see here with Bilderberg meeting. The actual conversations that occur at these conferences, they're cloaked in such secrecy behind closed doors, whether it's Hillary Clinton's email scandal it is hard to believe how these people get away with this. No one ever gets charged.
1: Well, of course, uh, you you can pass all the laws you want, but if you don't uh, enforce them, they're meaningless. And uh, the, the Paris Climate Conference Treaty, for example, there was no enforcement regulations in it. There was no uh, way that they could make people uh, do what they were committing to do. Talk about uh, Hillary Clinton The one thing that is making Trump so attractive is he's not only daring to speak about it, when even the Republicans wouldn't speak about it, but he's also saying she's got to be held accountable. So the failure, uh, or not only is the problem of people can lie and get away with that, and everybody says, well, you're lying, and she's saying, what difference does it make? That was her famous phrase, but they're never held accountable. And everybody knows, you, you watch the media, they say, well, she go to jail. And everybody says, no. Anybody else knows they would be in jail now. And that's the frustration of it, is the accountability. So you can pass all the rules and all the leg- regulations and, and have all of the goodwill, but if you're not prepared to implement it or to act on it, it's like um, you can know the Ten Commandments, but if you're not willing to follow them, don't even bother. And so that lack of accountability, and, and of course, who are the ones that would hold people accountable? The same people that are in charge. This is another of the underlying themes of not Trump himself per se, but the message is that we can't allow this to happen. Not only do we, do we have to expose it, but we've got to make these people accountable,
0: Exactly. And now you've got Barack Obama endorsing Hillary Clinton, Mrs. Teflon Don herself. All the shenanigans, the chicanery, these ridiculous Trump rallies, people getting manhandled. Earlier today, there was a poll that Americans want Bernie Sanders to stay in the race, even though he's already lost. This whole thing is a circus, ridiculous gong show. What's going on with all this, Tim? What's
1: going on here, of course, is that And we've discussed this before, and it's worth bringing it back again. You have to go back to the battle between science and religion. You see, we're in the age of enlightenment, supposedly enlightenment, and it was Voltaire who, his message basically was, I disagree with what you say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. Yes. Right? So the age of enlightenment was the idea of The science that is in science, you question everything. But the problem is in politics, you don't want questions. You don't want people inquiring into what's going on. It was the problem that Maggie Thatcher had. She knew she needed an educated workforce. She also knew was the minute you educate them, they start asking questions. And so what happened was... That in the battle between science and religion, and by the way, I'm more and more convinced that it was Darwin's business friends, the power group in in Britain at the time, who pushed him to publish because he'd been sent an essay, a 42-page essay, by an Alfred Russell Wallace saying... Here's an evolutionary theory, and it was exactly what Darwin was thinking about. And Darwin's friends said, hey, you better get published, otherwise you're not going to get credit. Why did they want Darwin to get credit for it? Because Russell Wallace was saying, hey, this doesn't add up. Evolutionary theory's got a huge gap in it between humans and animals. The gap is too wide to be explained by your evolutionary theory. And Wallace was the guy that was implying that, that there's an intelligent design here. So that was obviously heresy to these people that wanted to get rid of any form of, of religion or the idea that there might be a god. Darwin was the perfect character for it because he was an atheist. And so Darwin was pushed to publish... Now, what it did was, of course, you got rid of God as the explanation for people being here and being different. And that is all that's playing out now, because the minute you get rid of religion, you get rid of morality, you get rid of ethics, you get rid of conscience. And, of course, what you end up with is socialism, which is people running other people without any empathy or thought or care or morality whatsoever. You go and read the Founding Fathers, they understood the nature of humans. They knew humans were gullible and weak and easily led. The whole basis of America was built on the Judeo-Christian ethic. Socialists are getting rid of that. So not only are you getting rid of the political system of capitalism, but you're getting rid of the moral and ethical system of Judeo-Christian ethics. And so you get a Bernie Sanders that will say, whatever you want to hear, that's what I'll tell you. You get a George Soros who could care less. And and by the way, the person that recognized this, the most unlikely uh, source of recognizing this was Osama bin Laden. Because Osama bin Laden, before he got assassinated, said the West has lost its moral direction. He was absolutely right. The problem is I don't want his moral direction either. So we end up in this vacuum where we've got a world in which people are struggling to retain humanity, to retain ethics, morality, and the values of Christianity and peace when it's fighting against a completely amoral, group of people, which is what socialism is all about. Well,
0: what did Margaret Thatcher say about socialism? She said, the problem with socialism is that you eventually run out of other people's money.
1: Exactly. And you use their money without any conscience whatsoever. Whereas the Bible says, you know, look after your brother. I'm my brother's keeper.
0: Well, switching gears a little bit, what is your take on all the chicanery Obama's pulling lately?
1: Well, of course, what you've got going on, you've got a U.S. president who came in, and I I called him a a brown Trojan horse, right, because he uh, got into the White House pretending to be close to the center, not too far left. In fact, he's far to the left of Bernie Sanders, far, far to the left, as is uh, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton studied under Saul Alinsky. She's a disciple of Soloninsky, and Obama taught Soloninsky at law school. And, of course, the Soloninsky uh, idea is you destroy everything. It's a, it's a scorched-earth uh, approach to societies, and that's how you control them. And you do it without conscience, and you do it without care to anybody and so notice that rubio is different because rubio he made a mistake by attacking trump and he now admits that but rubio made the bigger mistake by coming out and saying everybody's saying obama has failed no obama has achieved everything he set out to achieve beyond his wildest dreams and what happened to rubio within two weeks of him saying that he was gone They couldn't allow Rubio to be making comments like that about the U.S. president and about Obama. They got rid of him. This is the great illusion that Obama has created. People have no idea of the extent to which he has put in place a bureaucracy that is answerable to nobody. A bureaucracy, and and look at the European Union. There is no government of the European Union. It's Brussels, which is bureaucrats. They have no bank. People say, oh, the European Union, like it's some great nation. It isn't. It's a socialist mythical monster. That's (laughs) what the European Union is. And, and of course, how do you kill it? How do you attack it? Well, the only thing you can do is get out of it, which, of course, is what the Brexit people are saying. They're saying, hey, if we want to get control of our lives again, we've got to get out of here. We can't stay in it and fight it from within. We'll never win because the bureaucrats can block you and stop you every single way possible. It's like Mary McCarthy said uh, years ago, bureaucracy, the rule of nobody, the modern form of despotism. Well, that's what Obama is setting up within the American government. Look at the fact that the State Department the other day said, oh, it's going to take us 75 years to track down Clinton's emails. Hello? To even make that statement and think you can get away with it shows how arrogant and detached these people are. You know what? It's also, by the way, like uh, you go back to Greek philosophy and Greek ideas of so much of it that you sort of think about it and you think, no, that doesn't make any sense. And the more you look at it, the more you realize, was the hydra-headed monster that you cut off the head and and, uh, another 20 heads appeared. That's what you've got with a bureaucracy. And you notice now, by the way, that they've got it set up in the U.S. and Britain had the same problem, that the bureaucrats get legislation pushed through saying you can't get rid of a bureaucrat. When they, go, they appear before Congress and Jason Chavitz said, well, why don't you fire these people? And, and the boss says, I can't fire them. Well, then that, that defeats the entire meaning of management and and being a boss. But this is all part of how you undermine and destroy something and then you step into the ashes and take control. And, of course, that's what uh, the left wing is planning to do in the U.S.
0: Well, I've got to agree with Rubio on one thing. Obama's done exactly what he intended. And hopefully he is on his way out. What do you see happening here? Do you think Trump is going to get in? Certainly, the establishment doesn't want to see that happen.
1: I think that Trump is going to get in because what happens is that the people are, are very slow to react, but they're like a steamroller. It's hard to get moving, but by golly, once it gets moving, you better get out of the way. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll give you an example what Trump is doing, and it's already been done before, relatively recently in the United States. Now, it was done within one state, but it illustrates what's going on with Trump. Because, you see, Trump is saying that in the society, there's 20% on one side, the left, and 20% on the right, and it doesn't matter what you do or say. They are so ideologically tunnel-visioned, they're not listening to you. They're not going to change. And so forget them. I'm going for the 60% in the middle, which is where the ordinary people are. And if you look at a bell curve, a distribution of a population, you know, within one standard deviation of the average, that's where 68% of the people are. And and Trump gave the game away, by the way, when somebody said to him, oh, well, you've got to have the conservative Republicans. And he said, no, I don't. Because that's the 20% that he knows he's never going to convince. So he's saying, I'm not wasting my time with them. If they if they want to join me, fine. I'm not going to turn them away. But I'm not going to waste my money and effort and energy chasing them. So he's gone for the 60% in the, in the middle. And, uh, of course, that is the ordinary people. That is the, the people that ultimately are in control. Because one of the things, and I've used this phrase on your program before, but the tail always wagged the dog. But now what you've got is a flea on the hair on the tail that's wagging the dog. Then a George Soros can fund MoveOn.org or those rioters outside the Trump rally from a distance, and the media focus all their attention, and it's only about 50 people, but you'd believe it's the whole world that are opposing Trump. So Trump has gone to the 60% in the middle, and and he's saying, look, you're the ones that are getting shafted by these people on on the extreme left or the extreme right. Whether it's Bush or or the Obama, these are not the people that care about you. They care about their own interests and their own uh, goals. Now, the person that did this before Trump was another person that, of a character, not particularly nice character in a way, and that you can argue, was Jesse Ventura. Because Jesse Ventura became famous, made a lot of money in professional wrestling, which, by the way, is the only honest sport left. It's honest about being dishonest. Everybody knows it's a show and everybody gets entertained and everybody has a good time and everybody giggles and laughs and goes home. Okay, but Jesse Ventura said, look, We have a new breed of professional politician, people that set out to get into politics, not because they have a particular ideology necessarily, but they just want to be in politics. Senator Everett Dirksen once said, what's the role of a politician? Get elected. Second role, get reelected. Third role, never forget. Mm. Okay, that tells you what it's all about. And, and so this is what Trump is coming along and saying. That's what Jesse Ventura said. I'm not going to run as, a, liber- as a, a Republican or a Democrat. I'm going to run as an independent in Minnesota. And he got elected in a landslide. And of course, he said, not only am I going to, I'm getting, running for office because I benefited from this country and I feel I owe this to the country to serve, Trump has said exactly the same thing. He said, I don't need this. I don't need the headache. And that's what Ventura said. And Ventura not only said that, but he said, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to balance the budget. And he got elected with a landslide. And third thing he said was, I'm not going to run a second term. I'm going to do this one term, get things sorted out, and then leave you to keep running it properly. That's exactly what he did. That is what Trump is doing. And of course, that is what the original founding fathers had in mind. Was that the politicians are citizens who have experience and have benefited from the country paying back? And of course, you know, George Washington, he he said, Don't ever elect anybody that wants to be the, the leader, because you're going to get somebody that only wants to be a leader. This is what you've got professional politicians. And by the way, I've watched them, they start in school and university. And then they go into school board, and then they go into municipal, and then they work their way up the political ladder. It doesn't take any brains to be a politician. All you got to do is show up at meetings and vote. It is such a simple thing to do. And 99% of them actually do very little. They become puppets to the power brokers like the Henry Kissingers and the people within Congress, like the McConnell, Mitch McConnell, and so on. So what Trump is doing is saying, no, we're going back to what the Founding Fathers originally envisaged, that is, a a non-professional politician, a person who has distinguished themselves and benefited from society, you know, it was like with Ronald Reagan, and you watch the media, this gotcha games. Well, they said to Reagan, or they were doing this, they said, oh, well, who's the prime minister of such and such a place? When they don't know, they say, oh, see, that proves you're not qualified. This is the game that that uh, Hillary Clinton's playing. She oh, oh, well, I know all these leaders. Well, big deal. You're a lousy leader. Do you know what Reagan did? They said to Reagan, who's the prime minister of so-and-so? He said, I don't know, but I'll find somebody who does. Right. <laughs> right that's what Trump is doing. Go and look at the people like Ben Carson, who is consulting about the health care and about dealing with the African Americans, people with credibility, people with proven records. And so the media, which has become the weapon of destruction of this left wing, Yes. then if Trump can withstand that, and the people are behind him on it because, you see, the media are shocked. They say, well, we heard this thing about Trump. They said, yes, so what? He's flawed. And Trump deals with it. They said to him, well, you know, you, you did business with the mafia. He said, you can't work in, in New York without doing business with the mafia. Does that mean I agree with them or support them or, or think we shouldn't get rid of them? No, but it's the reality of life. And that's what people have to struggle with. And that's what the Bible and that's what religion gives people the tools to deal with life. And that's what Trump is saying. And that's what ordinary people, that 68% in the middle, are recognizing. And that's why that steamroller of the ordinary people. And, and by the way, there's only two things that cause people to overthrow the real power brokers, the monarchs, for example. One is a failure of the food supply. That will trigger a revolution. Obama talked about the Arab Spring when people in Egypt were rioting and throughout Mubarak, they were rioting because the cost of food had tripled in less than a year. And it was food riots that caused that. Obama called it the Arab Spring. He exploited that, misrepresented it. and, And of course... The food supply issue was what triggered the French Revolution. The aristocrats and the people had always been there. The hatred was always there. But it wasn't until the two consecutive years of harvest failure that triggered the storming of the Bastille and the French Revolution was on. So that's one thing. The second thing that causes revolution of the people to get that human steamroller going Is when the leaders start to give out signals that they are there because of who they are. In other words, they forget that they only are at the top because the people allow them to be at the top. All right. And so when Charles I said it's divine right of kings, I'm put here by God, I'm not put here by the people, they chopped his head off. And when Louis XVI said, L'État c'est moi, I am the state and they said no you're not Louie and they chopped his head off and so when Obama is showing signs and and by the way there is a lot of discussion about Obama well I think one of the things he's going to do is push the interest rates up through the Federal Reserve which is of course being used to widen the gap between the rich and the poor and what he's going to do is he's going to push the interest rates up when the economy is in bad trouble as it is now because he's saying, oh, no, the economy is fine. Because the economy is fine, we have to push up the interest rates. That'll cause a complete collapse of the House of Cards, that is the world financial system. He will then use that as an excuse to implement the Emergency Measures Act. That means that he can then suspend the whole system and continue as president for a third term. We saw it with that other socialist, Pierre Trudeau. And Pierre Trudeau didn't like the fact that the people of Quebec wanted to be free. They wanted to control their own destiny. And he used the excuse of a kidnapping to invoke the War Measures Act. Now, what was the War Measures Act? The War Measures Act was a total suspension of the rights of every single citizen. And the prime minister, who claimed he was a socialist, therefore cared about all the people, then used their own army against them. That happened in Canada. And people forget about that. And of course, how did they, how did they cover up? Well, well, no, these people are, are terrorists. They're trying to overthrow the government. No, they just wanted their rights. Imagine what would happen if Western Canada now said to Eastern Canada, we don't like what his son Trudeau is doing. We want Western separatism. If one of the states said, we want to secede from the union, Obama would then use the army against their own people. And so these people that profess to care about the individual and care about ordinary people, in fact, are the total control freaks. The people are starting to see that. They're starting to see uh, the degree to which uh, they have lost control to a leadership that believes it has the right to be in power that they know what's best for everybody they know what's good for everybody which of course is the whole concept of socialism trust us and we'll keep control and the people are starting to realize that and that's why they're supporting Trump now not many of them can express that to you not many of them can explain well here's why I'm thinking what I'm thinking but one of the things that the good Lord gave all of us was a huge well of common sense And that common sense in the ordinary people is what they rely on. And and that's the stage that we're at right now. I really think it's it's very critical, this American election. And of course the world are watching it. And one of the things that's very telling about what's going on in the world is that because of the weakness of Obama, then all of those people that uh, exploit weakness, such as the Putins of the world, the dictators of the world, China, for example, China's building 70 nuclear subs. People are not even aware of that. So people see that weakness, and it's not necessarily a military weakness, but it's a moral weakness. They know that, yes, Obama might put an aircraft carrier there, but he won't use it because he wants the U.S. to fail. And that's the great illusion. Uh, Hopefully... That this moral background will come to the fore, and Trump is is the ideal person for it. And by the way, I think that when Trump was shown a list of all those people around the world, in fact, Obama said it. He actually came out and said, you know, many of the world leaders are telling me they're they're frightened of of, of Trump. And Trump's answer is good. If the bad guys frightened of me, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Because he knows why they're afraid of him, because he's planning to do what they don't want him to do, which is to restore the power to the people and to restore some some morality and ethics. And, of course, this is why you see another reason that he's got Ben Carson, because Ben Carson is a Christian to the core. Ben Carson is running a campaign with trump's approval to bring all of the evangelicals into the trump camp it's why he's the one by the way that arranged for trump to have a meeting with the evangelical leaders yeah while there is craziness going on the world there are patterns to it yes there's some very negative frightening signs But there are also some very, very positive signs as people start to see the threat, as they start to see the danger, as they start to put on their swords and and, and armor.
0: Yeah, it is time for people to do that. And I love what Edmund Burke says, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Tim, it is always such a pleasure to have you on the program. And I do want you to come back for a whole separate show on these incredible, frivolous charges, all these lawsuits against you. You were so instrumental in Climate Gate. You're one of those climate deniers. And I think it's really important to get into that as well as the topic on RICO charges against dissenters, not unlike myself with my book, I've got a whole legal situation going on with that, the bullying, the intimidation, that is a whole show that I want to do. And I really want people to support your legal fund as well. And I really want to encourage people to go to Dr. Tim's website today, drtimball.com, and donate to that. That is so important that we support people that are out there telling the truth. So I do want to have you back for that, Tim. And thank you for your time today, Tim, in coming on this program.
1: Thank you. And and Sheila, your program is so valuable because it's not just the message, but the messenger. It wasn't just Paul Revere, but it was what he was carrying in his hand. And that is so, so important in the work that you do in being a voice for the truth. And and I so much appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Tim. That really means a lot to me. I really do hope and pray this program is making a big difference. And I appreciate those words. Folks, that was the renowned one and only Dr. Timothy Ball. His information is there on today's bio June tenth. Like I said, I want to have him come back on the program and share this horrific situation of lawsuits, you're going to be shocked with that story. And that's a whole show in itself. So I'm really encouraging people today to please go donate to his legal fund. Every single cent goes to the legal fund. He is a true man of honor. He's been a beacon of shedding the truth for the last three decades. And let me tell you something, he's one of the most courageous men I know. So I'm really encouraging people, please give something to that legal fund. Trust me on it. If you knew the story, wow, incredible. It's kind of that famous statement, that provocative poem about the cowardice of German intellectuals following the Nazis' rise to power. You know, first they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists. I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews. I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. Very poignant. Well, I hope everyone has a blessed weekend. We have a tremendous lineup next week. Monday, Fritz Springmeier, author of The Bloodlines of the Illuminati, Let me tell you, we're going to have a great show on Monday. And if all goes well, I'm hoping Tom Horn and Chris Putnam are going to come on about their new book. Just a fantastic lineup next week. Thank you for taking the time to tune into the broadcast today. We'll see you Monday. Good night and God bless you.